This episode is brought to you by Accenture. A better you starts with better hydration. Accenture is on a mission to inspire people to do what matters most. Their proprietary ionization process transforms water from any source into ionized alkaline water, providing water that's 99.9% pure with a pH of 9.5 or higher. Essentia Overachieving H2O, the number one ionized alkaline water. Shop now. Atlassian software like Jira, Confluence, and Trello help power global collaboration for all teams so they can accomplish everything that's impossible alone because individually we're great, but together we're so much better. That's why millions of teams around the world, including 75% of the Fortune 500, trust Atlassian software. Learn how to unleash the potential of your team at Atlassian.com. That's A-T-L-A-S-S-I-A-N.com. Atlassian. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. This episode is brought to you by Smart Food Popcorn. Some decisions aren't the best, like skipping ahead in your favorite podcast. Think of all the banter you'll miss, the lore in the making. Luckily, Smart Food Popcorn is a no-brainer. Deliciously tasty and available in a variety of fun flavors. It's a smart decision every time. Smart Food. Add smart. To learn more, visit smartfood.com. Hello, I'm Oliver Condit, the editor of BBC Music Magazine, and welcome to the BBC Music Podcast. You can buy a copy of the magazine at your local newsagents or download our app to your iPad, Kindle Fire or Android tablet. And for the latest music news and more, head to our website at classical-music.com. Hello and welcome to our monthly cover CD podcast in which we introduce the works on the disc that accompanies the latest issue of BBC Music magazine. I am Rosie Pentreath, the magazine's staff writer, and with me today is our deputy editor, Jeremy Pound. Hello. This month, we're listening to the February issue cover CD, which features Sibelius's Symphony No. 4, plus his well-known Finlandia and the Swan of Turinella from the Lemminkainen Suite. We'll begin with Finlandia, the first work on the disc. Here it's performed by the BBC Scottish Symphony Orchestra under Thomas Dowsgaard.
Jeremy, Finlandia remains one of Sibelius' best-known works. Tell us a bit about the piece. Yes, Finlandia is, a, is actually a wonderful example of a work whose real meaning and purpose had to be kept under wraps initially. It was written in 1899, while Finland was still under the rule of Imperial Russia, and expressions of nationalism at that time were pretty much frowned upon. <clears throat> Theoretically, then, it was composed for a day celebrating the Finnish press, of all things. It was the last of six pieces of music that accompanied a visual tableau looking back at Finnish history. The six titles, in short, of those works were Vaino Maunin's Song, The Baptism of the Finns, Duke John in the Castle of Turku, Finns in the Thirty Years' War, The Great Hate, and finally Finland Awakens. Finland Awakens is what would eventually become Finlandia. Sibelius wanted to express his nationalist feelings through music, but to hide the work's intent from the Russian authorities, it was performed under various seemingly non-nationalist titles, such as a Scandinavian choral march. I mean, between the dark, brooding beginning and triumphant end, there's this famous hymn tune, which has taken on something of a life of its own. Uh, Much to Sibelius' displeasure, in fact, um, someone inevitably set words to it, but Sibelius had protested that it was never intended to be sung. One of my favourite Finlandia performances, incidentally, was when, um, in the early 1990s, the Lahti Symphony Orchestra brought their instruments to a European Cup match between Kasuzi Lati and Liverpool. And they stood in the crowd and played the work at intervals during the game. Now, if you listen to the match coverage on YouTube, you can find it there somewhere, you could actually hear them playing it at one point. <laughs> Fantastic. Our disc also features Sibelius's fourth symphony in A minor. Sibelius completed his fourth in 1910, and even three decades later, he said, I'm pleased that I did it, for even today I cannot find a single note in it that I could remove, nor can I find anything to add. Um, it's, it's one of the darkest of his symphonies. What makes it stand out from his other works, Jeremy? Well, it is, it is noticeably darker in tone than the, his, other, his other six symphonies. Um, it's written in the key of A minor, and it's, which is a kind of dark key from which the music struggles to emerge, really. It was actually written in 1910, as you say, and some commentators have said that its mood was capturing feelings of forebodings as World War I approached at the time, but I actually think that's judging it a little bit with hindsight. I think more pertinent is the fact that Sibelius had looked death in the face a couple of years earlier when he had a cancerous tumour removed from his throat. Um, he was also facing up to having to live without alcohol following the operation, which never went down too well. I mean, quite how traumatic this was for him, we can't be exactly sure. I mean, he'd had a very jolly and alcoholic social life in his younger years. And he also went back to the bottle in his later years. But that's by no means to suggest that life without, without alcohol was unbearable for him. But anyway, the, the fourth is not all doom and gloom. Um, in the last movement, there is a, a glimpse of resolution that life does somehow offer something to look forward to. And of course... We then got to see that optimism gloriously burst into light in the Fifth Symphony, which followed a few years later. And actually, this sort of slightly kind of contradicts those who believe that the war was kind of responsible for the tone of the Fourth, because the Fifth was written right in the middle of the First World War, um, and it's actually a much more upbeat work. Mm. Now... um on our desk, we've got Andrew Manzi conducting the BBC Scottish Symphony Orchestra um, in the Fourth Symphony. Now let's go back and listen to the contemplative slow movement to get an idea of the sort of the darker side.
That was the opening of the third movement of Sibelius' Symphony No. 4, which features on our February cover disc. The final piece on the disc is the Swan of Turinella, which is originally from Sibelius's Lemminkainen Suite, but has become just as well known, if not more so, as a standalone piece. Here is the opening. Sibelius is The Swan of Turinella, performed by the BBC Scottish Symphony Orchestra under John Storgords. Jeremy, why do you think this piece, originally part of the Lemminkainen suite, has become so popular, kind of as a work on its own? Um, it's, well, it is an extraordinary piece of music. It's um, very, very atmospheric. Um, as you say, it was the second of a suite of four-tone poems called the Lemminkainen Suite, which are written in the 1890s, so earlier than the other two works on this disc. Um, it was actually based on the Finnish epic, the Kalevala. The other four um, works in the suite are Lemminkainen and the Maidens of the Island, Lemminkainen in Tuonela, and Lemminkainen's Return. I mean, in this one, we hear the swan swimming around Tuonela, the island of the dead. Um, Lemminkainen has been tasked with killing the sacred swan, but on the way, he, is, he himself is shot with a poisoned arrow and dies. Um, it's, as you say, it's, uh, it's a beautiful piece of music. Um, and Sibelius was a brilliant scene painter at the best of times. He, he encapsulates that kind of feeling of darkness of a Finnish lake. Have you ever been to Finland? You see there dark, brooding lakes with big skies. This work captures it to perfection. And then the floating corongle kind of reminds you of that kind of graceful movement of a swan. But it's not just the gracefulness of it. It's actually this, there is this, it is this sort of swan of death. It has that sort of doom and gloom and fear of foreboding about it. It's, it's exceptional work. Fantastic. Well, that brings us to the end of our podcast. Um, we do hope you enjoy discovering more about Sibelius's life and music in our Feb issue. Um, and of course that you enjoy this disc. Um, do join us next month when we introduce our next free cover CD. Until then, that's goodbye from us, or as we think Sibelius might say, Nekamin. Nekamin. Thank you for listening to this BBC Music Magazine podcast, which was produced in our Bristol studio by Jack Fletcher. For more of our podcasts, visit our website at classical-music.com or simply head to iTunes.